Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. It really isn't the job of preaching in the church to speak to those who are outside of it. They're welcome to listen in, but the message is truly for the members of the body of Christ, the members of the local fellowship. And we're not to rail against those outside of the fellowship or preach to deaf ears. Our message is, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And within the church, Our purpose isn't just to find messages filled with an immediate practical application. Some of what we learn is just laying down a foundation to build upon. Today, from Psalm 68, may you find a foundation upon which to build. Last week we saw that God does rise up to lead His people. That this is a prayer... O God, arise and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate him flee before him. We saw that it was not only a prayer, but that it was a prophecy. That the prayer says, God, rise up, scatter your enemies, lead us, and we'll basically follow you, and we'll walk behind in your triumph over the foe. That is a prayer, but at the same time, it is a prophecy, because when God moves ahead of us, when God leads, he always scatters his enemies. He will scatter his enemy. He has promised that he will put down every single foe. So it will take place. We noted again that we took note to see with what ease it is that God, and with what awesome expression of his power, God conquers his enemies and his foes. Today what we're going to notice is that when God arises to bring victory and to scatter the enemy and to reveal himself with glorious power, that there is not an equal response from those who worship or witness the event. They don't have the same reaction. The enemy is scattered in fear. He is displaced like the ease of smoke being driven before wind. He is driven away and all of the supposed characteristics of his steadfast rebellion and hardness and arrogance against God it melts like wax before the fire of God melts in God's presence. But on the other side, those who God makes righteous, those who have claimed Him, who He has brought into fellowship with Him, who follow Him as He goes before them, these find a completely different experience from the exact same manifestation of the glory of God. There is no dread for them. There is no defeat. They are left only with gladness and rejoicing, exceeding rejoicing. They are left with songs to be sung to God and lives to be lived that set forward His presence before others. That's actually what the word means to say extol Him. The word for extol basically is the idea of somebody who would go before a procession of a king to declare for the people to get ready for His coming. It would be the person who would go and make sure that the roads were all cleared away of refuse and rubble in order for the king to ride through. Our lives are relived in such a way that our lives are an introduction of his presence and of his life. So what we want to do this morning is just consider a few points today. 
in which we see the impact of God's glory as it's revealed upon the righteous. And we see it in contrast to the impact of that glory as it's revealed to the unrighteous. The unrighteous suffer the scattering, the destructive consequences of the glory of God, but not those who've been made right. So here's our first lesson. God's glory issues forth to God's people as a reason for gladness and song and joy. They encounter blessing and life when God's glory is manifest and made known, when it is recognized. Go to Exodus chapter 14 for a moment. Here in Exodus chapter 14, we have this kind of twofold experience. The expression of the glory of God and yet how it touches in an entirely different way two different groups of people. In Exodus chapter 14, you have the nation of Israel who has through a sequence of miraculous expressions of the power of God been released from bondage by the Egyptians. They're being led by Moses down to the Red Sea. We know what's going to happen. God is going to part that Red Sea and they're going to walk through it, but they don't. And at this point in time, they're camped along the Red Sea and the Egyptians and the Pharaoh have decided that they don't want to let them go after all. And so the Egyptian army pursues them. They come before them. And in verse 19 of Exodus 14, we read this. We see the expression of the Shekinah glory cloud of God. This cloud is a cloud that will reveal itself, and from there it's going to go with Israel through its wandering in the wilderness. It will appear at different times again. It will appear, as we read in our scripture reading earlier in Exodus chapter 40, it will appear when the tabernacle is dedicated to God for the people in the wilderness. It will appear again in Second Chronicles when Solomon dedicates the temple that he builds for the Lord, for the God to be worshipped in Jerusalem. And there the Shekinah glory cloud will appear again. Here it appears likely for right around the first time. We see its first mention in Exodus chapter 13. Verse 19 and 20. Let's read them together. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. Now it describes what this angel was. The pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. That cloud had led them out of their captivity in Goshen and brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. And it stood behind them. And so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. God's enemies are covered in darkness. God's people are bathed in the comforting light of His presence. Both are before the glory of God. God's salvation is light to those He saves, darkness, darkness to those who will not receive it. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's see this again. This twofold impact, this twofold experience of the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul is speaking about the ministry that we have in proclaiming the saving power and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Paul says this, and he speaks of the double effect of that saving message. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. There's blessing. 
and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. What gladness, what joy, what songs peel forth from those who gain the knowledge of the fragrance of Christ who comes to bring them His salvation. For we are to God, he says, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Paul is borrowing from an image that was commonly known by the citizens of the Roman world, and even drawn upon the stories that might have come and been known by the citizens of the Greek world, he's using the image of the triumphal procession of a general who is proceeding into a city that he has protected, and where he has cast off their enemies. And now the general is coming back to be received by the citizens in triumph and in victory. And as he comes, he is in his chariot and he is leading behind him all of his conquered foes who have been brought in bondage and slavery before him. And the citizens are going out to greet him with song and triumph and praise and they're showering his chariot with flowers. And the fragrance of those flowers heaped up is a reminder to them of the victory that has been won for them and the salvation that they have realized by the conquest of their general. And at the same time as those flowers are being heaped up and the praises are being heaped up upon this general, the same scent of those flowers remind the enemy captives that this parade is going to end in their destruction. One, it is a fragrance of life unto life. The other, it's the scent of death unto death. Two different experiences from the same information. Later on, God is going to come upon the Mount Sinai and there God is going to communicate to His presence to the people with rumblings and shakings and fire as the cloud seems to expand and engulf the mountain. And it is so horrendous and so fearful that God instructs Moses to create some kind of barrier so that no one would go up on the mountain at that time because if any living thing were to progress up that mountain at that time that God was manifesting His glorious presence, it would die. God displays Himself among them as one who conquers and brings victory. Now, they come to Mount Sinai after God has demonstrated His power to defeat all the gods of Egypt. And as God opens up the Red Sea and they follow through and he is the one who they witness now as the terror that comes upon the mountain and shakes the earth. He is great and he is powerful. When he disrupts 400 years of silence, because they had been in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, when he does disrupt this silence, he does it with a bang. And he brings himself before them, revealing his expansive earth-rending power. But then in chapter 25 of Exodus, God does something that catches us by surprise. He wants to continue to manifest His presence among the people. That same presence that hovered over the Sinai and caused the people to quake in fear. And so God asked that a house be built for Him. A tent be made for Him. And that in that tent they might construct a small box that He would reside within and make His presence known among them 
And it would, in a sense, be his living quarters when he came to be among them and visit them. What he was expressing was his desire to come even nearer among the people. He will be among them. He will domicile with them. He will tabernacle. He will tent with them and among their tents. His desire is to express himself in this way. This is the amazing thing. The powerful, terrible, earth-shaking God who had led these people free and had driven back by a breath the waters of the Red Sea and swallowed up the armies of the Pharaoh and now he comes to live in a tent. As that tent is set up, that tabernacle, and the ark is put within it and as it's dedicated, as we read in Exodus chapter 40, this cloud that's been leading them, the cloud that went behind them to protect them from the advancing Egyptian army, the cloud that goes before them as this water is blown back, that cloud that expands itself in fearful fury over Mount Sinai and shakes the earth, now funnels down upon that tabernacle. And God is among them. And God makes His presence known to them. And this cloud now, in this manner, begins to express itself in a wonderful, gentle way to them. This cloud, the Bible says, becomes a shade over their heads in the heat of the day throughout all their journey in the wilderness, and it becomes a fire over them at night to keep them warm. This same awesome cloud that rattled Sinai, they experience in this way. God is awesome and great and defeats his enemies with the arm of his power, the same arm with which he cradles his children. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.